What's going on with the Irish line out? Can the scrum be as dominant against better opposition? Is Johnny Sexton going to make the next game? Rugby season's back. <laughs> we're, we're well and truly back because these are the conversations that we're having in the mornings and afternoons and evenings at the moment. You're very welcome to the return of World and Union Balls at Ease rugby show. Me, Mick McCarthy, Morris Brosnan, joining me as usual. Morris, happy to be back? Delighted, yeah, yeah. Um, like you, you, you would miss rugby. I, I made this point before, but it doesn't have the same uh, off-season appeal no. that other sports do. So when it finally comes back on like this, yeah, yeah. You tend to miss it, all right, yeah. It always takes me a few weeks, even. And we mentioned this when we did the kind of our squad prediction a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, it even takes a while to get going. But, like, I found myself just, like, really, really waiting. And it was with nerves and negativity mainly, but really, really waiting for the Wales match to start at the weekend. Now you're saying, all right, here we go. We're in now. We're in. This is it. Rugby season is finally here. Um, and we'll be back with it. We'll be back every Tuesday for, um, for, for the year ahead. We've lots of stuff, um, across Balls of the and our podcast network actually we speak to Stephen Ferris um, every week on the Build Up podcast with, with Ladbrokes on Wednesdays and um, lots more besides we'll be doing something with uh, with Brent Pope during the World Cup but Morris we're going to keep World and Union going because we've got some really really good interviews kind of lined up over the next few weeks um, really interesting so from all levels of the game really but we going to get started today with obviously the massive news about the Ireland squad has been named we're kind of there now we know the 31 that are going to Japan we've had three warm-ups to watch you know (laughs) such as they were and we've one more to go there's a lot to kind of get going on we know what's going we know where we are going into the World Cup I think at this stage and regardless of whether you're positive or negative about it there's just a certain kind of nervous energy now isn't there kind of this close Oh, it's a buzz, yeah, and it's across the board. Like I think you watch, I watched, um, watched a couple of Scotland games recently, and uh, you could see it, like these are warm up games, and I mean you've got players crying in uh, national anthems, like yeah. as a lineup. You watch, you saw some of the the, the English lads um, before their very first warm up game, and kind of the, just absolutely belting it out. Like just, it's clear that I like that kind of stuff because it is a kind of a welcome reminder that there is something matters in this game that there is like something on the line despite the fact that there might be a couple of degrees below the, the quality you like that at least it's just some sort of evidence that this stuff has has meaning you know absolutely yeah um look we'll probably talk about england and their you know this seeming inevitable march towards world cup victory for them um later on but the ireland squad is named the 31 man team there's actually a good few talking points more than what you'll see in the headlines that we will actually get to in a few minutes but we obviously do have to start with what are in those headlines and that's that devon toner's been left out you wrote a piece on site that people can read on balls.e right now kind of explaining what the thinking was into it that people should read and i'm going to get you to kind of go through some of those factors in a minute but first of all like when the news kind of broke i know that 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 um Rory O'Connor had it on in on the independent uh yesterday morning then it kind of came out it was officially announced that afternoon like for me it was Devin Toner I didn't know his place was in doubt you know and you kind of look at what he did in 2018 especially and you're kind of almost ruling out 2019 because of the amount of injuries he's had and you're like he's a very integral part of the Irish pack the Irish line out in particular were you originally at least shocked to hear that he wasn't going to be on the plane? Um, yeah, like I guess I was. Yeah, uh, like it's it's weird. It's a weird way that this. So uh, on Saturday we knew that the uh, players would have been told on Sunday and the squad would be submitted on Monday, but not be announced until the week after. Now subsequently it leaked on Monday and the it was reported on Monday. The Irish 
IRFU decided to move their announcement back and reveal the squad that day. So the whole thing kind of came out then and we, we finally got confirmation. Like to trace it was kind of odd. There was a couple of different whispers around Sunday about different potential things. I think maybe even uh, Peter O'Reilly, the Sunday Times journalist, might have even hinted on Twitter on Sunday that there was big news coming with regards to Toner. So I think the word might have been out there at the time, but obviously you only got confirmation really Monday. You got a couple of different reports. Um, some of these reports were like had Toner for definite. Some of these reports also had Will Allison in it. That obviously didn't come to pass. Chris mm. Farrell is the, the fourth centre there. Um, but in terms of the Toner news, yeah, I was shocked. And then you started to look for reasons why that might decision might have been made like and yeah. when, when, in doing that i mean i do think it's worth saying before we get into any of this kind of analysis that doesn't mean that either of us actually would have made this decision you're just trying to look understand the the logic for, for yeah. them coming to it like i if we were to decide i think both of us probably would have had toner in the squad to yeah. be honest but the, you're trying to understand the rationale of somebody who clearly knows more about rugby and that's why i kind of did that piece yesterday just supposed to have a look at what were the reasons that Devon Horner might not be included in a World Cup squad? Absolutely, and we'll go into that now. But I'm mean, even just personally, it's just such a kick in the teeth. And look, there's other people that have missed out as well. And you know, it's it's unfair to even focus on one. But you know, for a guy who you know, it's definitely his last World Cup. You would imagine, and to be kind of there all along and first choice, and then to just sort of suddenly miss out in the squad. It's just it's hard to actually fathom when you're a professional rugby player, you're a professional international rugby player, and your whole, you know, uh, reason to play is sort of, you know, maybe going from the start of this year, Six Nations, everything is about the World Cup, you know, and then just for it to be kind of taken away. It's just, it's just a mad thing on a kind of a personal level, um, and it's kind of hard to understand. But there are reasons for it. Joe Schmidt isn't doing it uh, to have a personal dig at Devin Toner. <laughs> um, you know, and Jean Klein is going to be on the plane instead, despite only qualifying for Ireland literally a couple of months ago. Um, that's something we can get into. But what is, in your opinion, the main reason that this call was made? The, I think the main reasons reason, even. The, well, the prominent reason is that New Zealand, South Africa, England, Wales to a slightly lesser extent have all developed really athletic powerful packs and to my mind this is a response to that this is trying to counter for the fact that you've got players who are now contributing a huge amount more than they, they maybe previously were and that their contributions in various different aspects of the game have become way more important um so before we get into that discussion like there's a couple of things i spoke to ali muldowney the bristol lock about this yesterday and we can actually hear from that in a second but the reason that ali is such a good person to talk to about this just for those who might be lesser familiar with him is that um, Adam Downey was an integral part of Connacht's Pro 14 winning team and Pat Lamb actually has him now at Bristol he also spent some time in the Pro 14 and he's spent some time in Wales as well so like a lot of the comments underneath the piece after I did it were like why isn't this guy never been capped by England it's because he's spent so much time in different areas he never has a even though he's been an incredible performer he never had a long enough stint in England to, to impress the way he has done elsewhere now the way, the way people would say that is because Ali is one of the very few people who can scrummage on the loose head side, scrummage on the tight head side and call lineouts. So he is an incredibly versatile lock. He did that. Uh, Dan McFarland would have been their forwards coach at Connacht and had Muldowney as their lineout caller slash tight head lock scrummager. Um, the best example, Ireland should know why that is such an important role because we had the, the archetypal second row in Paul O'Connell. Like Paul O'Connell was the guy who... 
Um, I, I had some stuff in my piece yesterday from Mike Ross talking about how big a scummager he was and the effort he gave there. But I mean, his lineup was was second to none. He was a, a unique case in terms of a guy who can pack down in a scrum and contribute hugely in the lineup. And the reason that is such a hard thing to do, and this is why it's worth bearing in mind about what Ireland have tried to do, right? When Paul O'Connor left, Devin Toner went in as the tight headlock. So initially you had Toner, and even when Dunnick Ryan actually played with uh, Toner, or whether it was Henderson, Toner always stayed as the tight end lock. And that, like what Ali will outline is that that is such a taxing job to do. Like the, the amount of effort you have to put in as a second row in a scrum behind a tight head is incredible. And the, I mean, he literally says there's nothing worse than having to pack down a scrum, put in all that effort and then get up and contribute elsewhere. Like it's a really taxing thing to do. So if you go back and I actually charted this back in 2017 in the Six Nations, Ireland lost to Scotland. We'll all remember that game. Devin Toner was our tight head lock that day. Ian Henderson was a loose head lock that day. So Toner started, called the lineouts, and was in the scrum. And both suffered. So it wasn't just the scrum that he couldn't... There was a scrum under the... There was, I think they were 21-8 down. They got a scrum underneath Scotland's post. And it was funny because Paul O'Connell is on commentary for BBC. So you get a brilliant breakdown live in a game, which is a camera right above them, shooting down on top of them. And Toner's in behind. And he's outlining what you expect from your second row in a scrum. As you see, Toner can't lock out. behind. He's behind for a long... And all like... The, as Ali will spell out in a second the one thing you can't do is go backwards you can't go backwards in a scenario like that even if you feel the pressure just lock out just like pack down lock out don't let your feet move and he can't do it his legs crumble he can't get a forward enough base loses the, the himself and Henderson lose the blind the ball goes down at the same time the scrum suffers at the sorry the line suffered in that game as well it really creaked and that's because you're trying to do two huge jobs do you know what I mean you're trying mm. to and the and is that the mental like as in the the almost injured like the play call that you need to make you know to have your it's, mind yeah. clear for that as much as the physical it's both exactly. job of actually jumping in the lineup yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's both it's it's a really hard thing to do and the response to that in 2017 was that after that game James Ryan came in. Uh, by the end of the thing, by the end of that tournament, Ireland bet England in the Six Nations. Devon Horner didn't start. James Ryan and Ian Anderson did. A year later, we played England again. Ireland played England again. Beat England again. Devon Horner was on the bench again. Ian Anderson and James Ryan pl- played. From that point on, I think Ireland have been trying to develop a tight head lock in the same mould as somebody like Paul O'Connell and James Ryan has done that expertly. Then in 2019, something else happened that James Ryan started calling lineouts with Leinster. Now, that's a huge string to his bow. Yeah. As we just spelled out, that's a really hard thing to do. But if James Ryan can do that, that gives you a huge amount of pack. This is a guy who has that ability, like Muldowney or like O'Connell have done, to be a huge influence in a scrum, hopefully run a lineup properly, and also have this massive impact on the loose that he does. I mean, if you watch the Wales game, to me, he's Ireland's most important player. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he's bulked up considerably, actually, from what I've seen. The... the, 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 the like all the stuff that you love to see in Josh, I say Josh Smith really, really likes James Ryan. He does all the like the, his defensively, he's huge. He makes big carries, but even really sort of stuff like he'll make it uh, a tackle and then work really, really hard to get the maximum out of that tackle. Whether that's dragging a guy back or if he gets pinned down, he really demonstrates his his on the ground work. The stuff that Schmidt loves to try and get away. Be like there was a one point where um, at the weekend Roman Pott actually gave him a thumbs up to that he appreciated his effort to roll away from a, <laughs> from, from a ruck so this kind of stuff is what Ryan does really well and now if James Ryan can do that and if you've got somebody else who could also contribute and call lineouts, say for example Josh Mitt is done press conference in Carlton House today and he said that Ian Henderson could call a lineouts, but he also went into a bit more detail it was interesting he said James Ryan has done it this year. He also said that Ty Byrne can call lineouts and Peter Matney. I thought it was interesting that he cited them too because in a there is a scenario where all four of those players are on a pitch together. Like there yeah. is definitely a scenario as as they 
were or exactly uh, at yeah. the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I would. I would, George Smith is very careful with his words, and when he says something like that, I would. I wouldn't dismiss them. Like I think there is something in that that you might see. Uh, the that's where maybe they think they can overcome some lineup malfunctions that happened in England and rely on that. And then at the same time, and I think like Toner's handling is better than Klein's, but in terms of a loose impact, in terms of packing down this kind of like what happened to us in the last six, what happened to Ireland in the last six nations? Their counter model was really poor. They got beat up up front. They could scrummaging was under pressure at times. If you had somebody like Klein or Ryan in a scenario like that they counter for all of that and then you hope that you get more of an impact in the loose the the final thing before we hear from Ali that I think you have to stress is that this was a really 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 tight call um, that's what George Smith has said the fact that I still think there's a decent likelihood that Devon Horner will play yeah, in Japan anyway because of the way these things generally go yeah. um, I, I, if there's an injury to any of the back five he's the first on the plane I think that's, that's pretty you think obvious. even with the back I, even, yeah, even including I, the back I row I think so the, yeah. one other thing that Josh Smith said today that I find interesting is he cited uh, Ruddock as a 6 and a 7 so yeah. if he thinks he can cover both sides Ty Byrne has played as a 6 and has indicated that as well then I think Ty Byrne becomes your versatile option yeah. and Devon Toner goes out so I, I, there's, I, there's still a very good likelihood that to me that he still end up um, playing in Japan but for now yeah I think that's what the, why that call was made if we could just play this this is uh, Ali Madani talking about the physical toll particularly in a scrum and how much it takes out of you to be a tight head lock um, oh, it's tough but like you normally, you normally have two second rows. You normally have a bigger and stronger one who's coming on your tight head, and you have a taller, leaner one who's normally a better jumper on your looser side, and he's normally your line-up caller. That's a mass generalisation. Yeah. Then you get others like myself. I'll scrum his tight head side and call line-outs, but I can scrum his loose head as well. So I mean, you know, so like it, it just depends and varies on what people are good at. Because normally, why you'll get a loose head. Uh, scrummager is because they're tall and leaner and not as heavy and then normally you'll have a shorter maybe guy but he's more powerful and so he'll be a tight head scrummager not like Quinn Roof. Did, did the ability for you to do both does that come naturally or do you have to work on that? No you have to work on it like um, I didn't really have to call line outs until I got to Connick and luckily had a good we had a real good coach obviously with Dan McFarlane and it's just and yeah you've got to have some ability because you've got to be able to keep progressing and learning but you can see in that England game like if that's what you're going to be talking about as well. You're looking at England games, for example. England had the non-jumping back row. They had two jumpers and they took the line out apart and you just got to look at it and go, they've only got two jumpers. We've always got to do spread them out and take what's on. They yeah. can't cover 50, they can't cover 10 metres. But what they kept doing was playing into um, England's hands. Wherever Toji and Cruz were, they are trying to still win the ball on them and the front was wide open all day. So you've just got to learn. Take the front. If it's on, it's on. You take it. Then all of a sudden, the Toji will shift to the front he'll move to the front and then like and then that opens up the middle Cruz is then stuck in between two places you've got to make them two think and they, they didn't have to think at all so so that what you're talking about there is the it seemed like the England had very easy reads on, on, on Ireland's pods and is, is the way that you change it up by having an extra option or is that down to calls it's it's, it's down to the calling okay. I mean you, you sometimes like you just got to take the front I know like they'll have attack maps where they're like, oh, we don't want to win it at the front because obviously they'll have Curry and whoever shooting up and on the ball. But, you know, especially after you lost, say, one or two line outs, you've just got to win the ball at the front. Yeah. If it's on. Because England kept leaving the front wide open. Like, even on a six-man, they're bringing a loose head right off the line. And that right off the five-meter line, so just win the ball at the front and then you play. But, like, it may not be the perfect ball you want, 
but at least you're playing with the possession instead of getting turned over and forcing the hookers to make real difficult for you know the when you yeah. look at the the scrum when they're packing down like and I know I think you're really well suited to answer this question. In your own experience, is there a huge amount of a difference between scrummaging on a tight side and a loose end side? And if so, what is it? Um, yeah, like it's 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 a lot more important. Um, so that's right to say it. Um, on your ball, like um, if you're on a tight side, some you, you know you need to get forward, so you need to make sure that your tight doesn't go back. So sometimes you've got a feeling the scrum whether you keep on pushing or you just got to lock it out. Sometimes you just got to realise that like we're not going to move anywhere, but we can't go backwards, so you just lock it out. On the loose head side, it's really important on their ball because you obviously you gain their tight head, so like you really want to get that loose head attacking their tight head again, so like he can't get forward. But like yeah, so like there is a lot more like there's a lot more like freedom on the, when you're coming down the loose head side because you loose head. It's got more movement, you know, he'll angle in and then you may break your bind with your other lock because you've got to stay with your shoulder on the loose head and then you just stay with him. But with a tight head, you've just got to stay, like, he's got nowhere to move, really. Because if he comes in on a big angle, it's so obvious, it's a penalty straight away. Loose heads can get away with a lot more. So you just got to stay real locked in. Like, some of the older boys as well, like, like and you've got them tight heads. Some tight heads just want a big hit and chase. Some don't pretty much want to pre-engage so they want to be really loaded before the scrum goes down and then you know, like it's like a pre-engage and then lock out chase and then you'll feel in the row you'll feel it you'll start feeling the pressure and you'll think right okay I can go now and I'll give a certain shove or this they've done a good job we just got to lock it down to make sure we don't go anywhere so that's Ali Muldowney uh, former Connacht lock Pro 14 winning lock now with Bristol um, I thought that was incredibly interesting yeah. and I, I think that's an insight that you don't really get unless it's somebody who's, who's been there and done that and um, just the, the physical toll it takes and that what I think you should take away from that is the expectation that you should place on tight head locks now is ever increasing This like we always talk about it with front rows weirdly is that oh the game is totally changing for them but I don't know if it's actually stressed for second rows and a second row the thing is right a second row will never get the praise if a scrum operates properly you will always focus on a but if it doesn't run properly you start to look at your seconders like they will mm. never get that praise they will never get the praise if the breakdown is fine but if the breakdown is wrong you're like what's wrong with their breakdown entries like it's a it's a real donkey work and I noticed because as somebody who's played second row <laughs> <laughs> Alan is a donkey <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's a real kind of donkey where it's dog it out work but uh, I thought what Ali spelled out there is that the physical toll but, and also just the decision making in terms of when do you lock out when do you make a call is massive it's fascinating and something we don't hear enough about and actually something I probably didn't know enough about and if you want to take it the other thing we've been talking about here is line out calls and being the person to call line out and that was something that I had never it's like you know about but you'd never thought too much about and this is the weirdest thing ever but it was actually Devin Toner who explained it to me because James Ryan, you remember when Devin Toner was injured for the Six Nations last year and James Ryan was, it was announced during the week that he was going to be calling the line out in, uh, against Wales in the last Six Nations game and it would be his first time ever doing it in, for either Leinster or Ireland, which I couldn't believe. And we had Devin in here in studio um, the night the under-20s won the Grand Slam and I asked him about it and I asked him what, what it is that goes into calling the line out and how that James had never done it before. I think we can hear a little bit of it now. 
it's something that when you're a second row, you, it's kind of either call or you don't. There's like there's some who who have never called. There's some who sometimes call. There's some who always call. Mm. Like when Paul O'Connell was in the team, he always called. When Leo Cullen was in the team, he always called. So like when I played with Paulie, I didn't. Do you know what I mean? So then, but then over the years, I kind of learned. I learned and learned. And I learned so much off Leo and Paulie over the years, and yeah. then kind of it grew with me. But so like obviously, when me and James played together, I would call. So like he hasn't really got a chance. So he he, he did actually get a chance to call um, uh, in in Munster, which was, was a really tough game, and, and when we played Toulouse in the Highland Cup. So yeah. he does have that experience of of um, of of. Uh, that 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 tough game. Do you mean yeah. so? Like I'm like I wouldn't put a pass into. And what are you looking out for? Is it trends from the previous lineouts? Is it is it you know is it you have a number of set plays and you're kind of just trying to outthink the opposition? Yeah, well you have a menu in your head. So every yeah. week you you, have, you obviously see who you're coming up against. And you come to, you could go with a menu. Um, personally, I like you obviously. I'm, the first line is always the is always the most nerve wracking for me because you don't know how they're going to. They might change your D. Yeah. So you kind of see how they're how they're Ding up and then you, you go through your menu of, of where you want to go. Mm. Um, and it kind of evolves from there, to be honest. Yeah. But you, you do have a menu that you want to get through, and you do a certain amount of preparation leading into So that's just ironic that it happens to be Devin Toner who was the one that was uh, telling us about it. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's a massive job. I think he might even be underselling it a little bit there, you know, but it is funny that we're talking about it. And whatever about losing concentrating on what that tight head can be and if we do have four people who can go and call the line outs there's no doubt about it that Devon Toner has been one of the best in the world at that for a long time and until very recently the Ireland line out under him if you want to look at it that way has been very very good and it is something that they're going to have to replace and you know like the thing about the kind of uh, more dynamic and more kind of mobile packs is definitely an interesting one and it's just something that there's a part of me that definitely feels a little bit sorry for toner because i remember watching him against the all blacks and i think would it even been crow park maybe maybe it's not that far back but definitely against the all blacks in a november international years ago and kind of you know watching devon as a young man kind of you know having the conversation sort of at the night like you know is this guy up to it or is he just tall and line-out player you know and the improvement I don't know if I've ever seen a rugby player improve as much as him you know and he became and and this does happen and and it does happen with second rows a lot that they do that you know you need to mature into the role you don't James Ryan is one of the very few kind of you know 21 year old superstar second rows you know but uh, he is I just think that I don't know if anybody's worked on their game as intelligently and improved themselves as much as Devon Toner and I, I hope that that's his legacy and it's not as you said like you know maybe he'll end up in Japan but I hope it's not we're all not always talking about the fact that he didn't get picked for the World Cup in, in 2019 yeah like to me to me the, the one thing that stands out in Devon Toner's legacy is how he played against New Zealand last year yes. like this, we were talking about last November and I, I I really wouldn't don't sleep on that performance like that was absolutely phenomenal yeah. and I'm not just talking about as a set piece there um, what happened after that is that he had an injury blood in 2019, which I think is is really hurt him. To be honest, I think that, stemmed his momentum, like, like, like didn't it? Yeah, yeah, like that really kind of blighted his year. And I think the just on the like, I, some people have come back to me and said, "Well, he has scummed as a as a tight head before." But I think that 2017 Six Nations was a huge revealer for a lot of people, and it was interesting that that year, even though he scummed as a tight head for Ireland, Leinster didn't use him as a side of scrimmage because they had Triggs, Hayden Triggs, uh, to, to pack down on that side and therefore to turn him on the other side. I, if, if he was, that was his expert position, that's where he would have played and it wasn't. He's more suited to the other side. So he's actually, he's probably more so in competition with the likes of Henderson or even Ty Byrne 
uh, more compared to say like James Ryan will pack down on that side the guy who's going to back him up is John Klein who's a specialist in doing that and I don't know if Toner was ever really in that conversation but yeah. I mean, he misses out either way let's talk about Klein because you know we're going to get the familiar furor um, over the next you know few days probably going as far as Sunday and then it will happen into the tournament when he plays and you know, there's a part of me that on this show we've talked enough about it. We can dismiss that the kind of the general bullshit of this guy's not Irish. He shouldn't be taking a, a, a seat on the plane. However, I do think it's legitimate to talk about you know the rules in general and what we think of this and whether we think this has an impact on the dynamic. Klein seems like he's an okay guy. You know, as, an, as I know nothing about him. Sorry, okay is, sounds pejorative. I don't mean it that way. Um, like, as in, I don't think he's going to negatively affect the morale of the squad. You just wonder, though, if like everybody in that squad is looking over their shoulder for the next project player to come and immediately jump into the squad and take their place, you know? Now, the other way of looking at that is if you're not good enough to you know if, if there's a better player behind you whether they're irish or from timbuktu what difference does it make if you're not you know i think you made the point before you need to be in the top 10 players not in the i think this was in ga we were talking about you know not in the the top 15 it was mark who was actually saying it you know because if you're the guy who's gonna be the first player thrown off when the new guy comes in then you know you're probably not at the standard you need to be anyway you know yeah. but at the same time i can't imagine it's easy for for people to kind of this guy's like suddenly qualified for ireland and immediately he's gone to the world cup yeah i mean and like whether or not you think it's right or wrong i think there's no doubt that some players would be very sore about it like you see past players i uh lucas earl has been really vocally critical about this on twitter this week um so like the, i'm sure that's a sentiment whether or not he's he's right or wrong um, I, I personally would disagree with some of what he said, but yeah. Uh, but ultimately, if other players are thinking that way, I it's affecting the it's affecting the dynamic of the squad, like isn't it? Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, like I, I do think there is a there's a certain element to this that is just down to kind of a recognition that what like what do Ireland need in this scenario, and it's some sort of power pack. Like I, I I think ultimately you can boil this down to technicalities for uh, as a player if you're looking at it as a player outside of the the other conversation like there is there's two conversations here there's a conversation about uh whether or not john klein should be available for a selection then there's the also like the alternative one which is merits as a player and i think that in that conversation toner is very very close potentially actually like i would have personally i would have thought that you are the line out is way more reliant on toner than the scrum would be reliant on Klein and therefore that you probably look towards toner yeah. that's just that's probably my opinion as well but it's close but yeah. that's, a, that's a technical view but you've got the other view which is the a way more complex one in terms of nationality and uh, self-identity and we've talked about that at length on this podcast and yeah. I think that uh, regardless whether or not you that you agree with that that he should be available for selection I think there would definitely be players who would be hesitant about it yeah I think it's fair to make a comment as well that uh, the Irish coach as a professional rugby coach pre- picking a professional rugby team should only consider the merits of them as a rugby player and who's available to them and who's not and probably not take anything else into account except for maybe something like a, a, a team leader and you know various different kind of you know things that aren't as tangible as pure talent but at the same time I don't think they should be taking nationality into account if Klein is going to play for Ireland he may as well play in the World Cup as the Six Nations you know yeah um, but anyway look it is something that here's the thing you're going to read a lot of things in the next week or two that are going to suggest this is very black and white on either side it's right and it's wrong there's a there's a genuine 
conversation to be had to say that there's a gray area and it's hard to know <laughs> you know and that you do have to play the rules as they are but at the same time do we necessarily want an irish team that is full of people who just come over here to play with the green jersey on but that it's purely a professional sports person honor rather than a honor of their national country can i make one final point on this just yes. one really quickly final point there's a there is absolutely a bigger conversation and this conversation is happening across the globe by the way like short barnes is very critical of eddie jones for picking um willie hines the the backup uh, scrum half for them but and you saw uh gus pichot the angus pichot the world rugby's vice president has yeah. also been critical of this but there's a like if if Particularly World Rugby, I take serious issue with World Rugby. This week, for example, right? I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't cast any aspersions on this, but I just thought it was interesting timing. Um, Ronaldo Botma, the Harlequins and Namibian rugby player, announced his retirement today, and he said he, he, he would like he's retiring from rugby with immediate effect. So he would like to wish the Namibians all the best in the World Cup, and he's now looking forward to an exciting season ahead with Harlequins. Right? I thought that was interesting timing. And in a separate way, Daniel Leo was on this podcast earlier this year and implored, begged World Rugby to have a look at second and third tiers and the amount of retirements before World Cups and whether or not there's been any pressure put on them to, to do so for lower tier nations. So you'd, he was talking about Fijian Samoans and the Tongans and the amount of times that they can't represent their countries in World Cup and why that might be, like what, what was in that. And I think that if World Rugby was genuinely concerned about how player profile was coming they'd also look into that they'd look at what is happening with clubs but I don't think they I think there's a dismissive attitude towards lower tiers and what are actually bigger issues and yes. a lot more scrutiny put on other tiers and I just wish there was some sort of consistency particularly with World Rugby and a guy like Gus Pichot that, I mean Judgment has addressed those comments today but, but in a, as a separate point I think the, there's way bigger issues with what's going on with National Young World Cups and uh, I don't think they're being treated as, as seriously as they should be couldn't agree with you more good point let's move on uh, when we spoke about the potential squad a few weeks ago we did point out that two scrum halves went to the 2015 World Cup we kind of thought that the dynamics this time would suggest that three of them I know you definitely thought that John Cooney might go as a kind of a possible option for 10 as well or at least a kicking option um, and we know that he was let go quite a while ago even still I thought that Kieran Marmion just had a place in this squad and the way I would look at it is that uh, Luke McGrath is possibly a better bench option than Kieran Marmion but I wonder if uh, here's the thing if God forbid uh, Conor Murray had a uh, you know a tournament ending injury and a replacement was called I'd actually still fancy Marmion to start at 9 over McGrath you know it's just it is it does come down to those calls sometimes it's what are you looking for right we're going to go with Murray's going to start all the important games who's going to make that impact after 60-70 minutes and that's why it's so hard to like you're trying to look at it and say for example the Scotland squad is leaked and you see a situation where uh, Hutchinson and Jones it looks like the two uh, centres who have been on fire this year aren't going to be selected and so it's kind of it's easy to see like it, it's a big shock but you can see why that there's people who have certain credit in the bank and that's what he's going for now you look at if you try to apply the similar logic to Ireland you think that Devon Toner's credit in the bank clearly didn't count for much neither did Kieran Marmion's like these are two players going back to that New Zealand game actually who were brilliant that day were absolutely brilliant and that didn't seem to count for anything when it comes to the World Club squad so then you're thinking okay he's picking on form if he is picking on form it's hard to see why Will Allison really isn't in there given how he played last weekend um, I know he's been injured recently but anytime he has played he's been really really positive and Chris Farrell I think 
we would all be in agreement with a disappointing enough game against Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's hard. Like I, I will I will say that that might be a smaller sample size and issue than maybe what you're talking about with like the toner Marmy. Not that yeah. they're in poor form, but that you know that they're probably looking over a longer period of time. Whereas Will Addison seems to come on and make an impact. But Chris Farrell is someone that you, for example, have been saying has a real place in this squad because he offers something different. You know, and Addison is probably more of a you know utility style player, which we're actually very lacking in this team. You know, like other than you know fullback and wing. We don't have any real centre cover, which is probably why there's, other than maybe Joey Carberry and then the four centres that are named, which is probably more than the three that most countries will have because they'll have a winger who'll be able to sit in. Um, but I do think that it's weird because if Ireland had been on the 2018 form so far, I wonder would the safe option of Marmion and Toner have been selected because I I just wonder after what happened with England and after things were so low was there a who can we afford to change it up with yeah I did because we need we need a feeling here that things are changing I'd I'd say that's um, I like actually the likely explanation I would like the the reason I would see Chris Farrell is in here so uh, a lot as Josh said yesterday that Gary Ringos can cover fullback and the wing weirdly and he also said that we prefer that he can cover out half so does uh, I mean I don't really know about that yeah. also I, Gary Ringo's um, despite maybe his you know indifferent form at the moment is probably one of Ireland's most important players at one at of Ireland's 13. most important yeah. positions yeah. so why would you be using him as a utility player just to put in somebody who's probably not as good as him so here's my yeah. th- here's my theory on it right I, I Joy Carberry has been the most successful fullback when he's played there uh, outside of Rob Kearney there's question marks over Jordan Lammer when he played there against Argentina last year Conway hasn't got enough reps there Will Addison similar thing not enough reps there Simon Zio is a whole different uh, (laughs) different no point in bringing that up hold on sorry so Joy Joy Carby seems like the most likely uh, the the best second choice that's why I think he's elected not to bring Will Addison Conway's another just yeah, name to throw in there. I don't I think, think he's you know. got. I don't think he's got enough reps there. Yeah. I, I I think it'd be. I I'd be very surprised if we saw Conway at uh, fullback. The other one, Chris. I, reason I would see Chris Fallon there. Robbie Henshaw and Guy Ringers are too important not to bring. But Robbie Henshaw has had an injury blighted year, and yeah. that could well continue. Now, in a scenario like that where you've got to try to take care of a guy, what would you do in that scenario? I think that that's where Farrell comes in. That Farrell plays back up to, to that scenario. You've got a guy who's played as a 12 and as a 13 mm. for, for Ireland. So he's got some, like, no cover outside of that straight up. But I think that's where, where, where that applies. If that is true, I think that's how you try and get in a scenario where you might try and get a 23rd man into a squad. Mm. You might have a guy like Farrell. And then, but that does. You, <laughs> Like you don't get away from the fact that that means that you're trying to use ring rows in a different spot in a like after an hour of a game suddenly he's like does yeah. he just flop back to fullback does he slide into the wing I think that's I'm not sure about that to be honest but listen uh, the other option there is that that Joshman hasn't abandoned his Robbie Henshaw as a fullback experiment and that that might be a another change I, I, let's hope not yeah, we don't know I mean it's, we, we don't know I, that that's the explanation I would have for those calls the Luke McGrath one like I you said Devin Horner can be sore. I think Kieran Merriman has just as much right to be sore I agree, about, yeah, about, yeah. about about that. I think uh, any time he's been called upon, he's been, like Kieran Merriman started in the wing for Ireland and did a yeah, job. I know, um, but I think it's just uh, the reason I'll I'll just make a bit of a less of a deal about Marmion is because 
one, I think there's room for him. I, 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 like, there's a few of these lads. I'm going to mention Jordy Murphy now in a few minutes. I'll be surprised to not see him in Japan at some stage. Just the way things work yeah, out. There's always injuries. And just because it, an injury might not be to a scrum half doesn't mean the scrum half won't be the one called up and so on and so forth, right? Uh, I also just think it is because of the squad dynamics. There's a lot less choice there. And I think he's Ireland's number two scrum half, but he might not be Ireland's bench scrum half. And it's very, very close. And it's a lot more understandable. It's not that not that the toner thing isn't understandable. And you've done a really good job of explaining why the decision was made. I just think that you're talking about five guys really going in in Devon Toner's position for two positions. We're talking about two going for one position in in the scrum half situation. I agree he has a right to be sore. I'd be I'd be disappointed if he wasn't absolutely fuming today and trying to prove everybody wrong, but it's hard to argue it. It really is because Conor Murray is going to start all the important games. We know that, right? If you're only bringing two, if you look at the squad and think you can only bring two, I don't know. I think that Luke McGrath probably offers a better change of pace, which is something that Ireland have lacked sometimes at the scrum half position. Um, you know, the, for all the greatness that Murray does, sometimes you just need that guy to come on. And Cooney actually did that a little bit in the Six Nations as well. But I just wonder if if uh, if that just makes sense for yeah. McGrath, doesn't it? I, I, yeah, I can absolutely see that. Um, the final thing just to add is uh, a bit of news. Schmidt has confirmed that Will Addison, Kim Merriman and Devin Toner are going to stay with the squad for preparation for this Wales game at the weekend. So um, like, these are the guys that are on standby. That yeah. they're, and... As I said, I would be I would be surprised actually if we don't see at least one of them in Japan. Just the way this the way rugby is, we saw the twenty fifteen World Cup. I think there was lads who don't even play professional rugby anymore who were eventually <laughs> called up to the squad. And the way things are going, let's hope it's not as attritional this time. Very very finally, right, Jordy Murphy uh, for Reese Rudock. It was just when we picked the squad a few when we picked the squad when we did our version of the squad a few weeks ago. We both agreed that actually Rudock might get the nod over Murphy. I know when we talked to Stephen Ferris, um, the first time we spoke to him on the Build Up podcast, he actually thought maybe possibly the same thing despite Murphy's form with Ulster. But it just looked more and more through the warm-ups that it was Jordy that was going to get the nod. And, I mean, we haven't seen Reese Ruddock since he captained uh, the team against Italy, Italy, you know. But I just, I think what we said at the time has come true is that he can cover... Both, um, both flanker positions. He is a natural leader. He's going to possibly, I would imagine, captain what was essentially the midweek team, the Samoa and, and, and Russia teams. And he's someone that will slot in when needed and do a serious job. And he'll... I just think he's somebody that was very, very good person to have on tour. I think he'll 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 nibble at the heels of uh, the other kind of... Uh, ty- the... the, the back five forwards yeah and to my mind as well the the defining out of any time where it's a relevant factor Joe Schmidt has opted for the more abrasive presence the guy who's going to be that bit more physical and I think that's like Klein is an obvious example of that um, I think the, like this conversations about Klein or McGrath I think like whatever about the technicalities of the two of them over the last year in terms of their physical impact in games Klein has been streets ahead and that's why he's there and similar thing I think that Ruddock just has a, Ruddock just imposes himself he just yeah. does and he and he always has for Ireland he always delivers when he's called upon like even for I remember I was being at the the ODS for the Pro 14 uh, semi-final this year and he captained them out and same thing again massive presence like in the breakdown this, we're talking about preparation for a big powerful South African pack I think he's the guy who um, could be on the vet could be your option off the bench there who can cover he can cover I suppose he is Kunt Schmidt he can cover 6, 7 and 2nd row like he's, yeah. he's also versatile too it's funny we haven't even mentioned um, Kilcoyne 
um, picking over over Jack McGrath because it's actually it just became self evident. I think, I and think people so too, yeah. who watched the game on Saturday will you know I've been very clear about that as well as the performances all the way through basically 2019. But I think it's where we can go and have a look at what we've seen in the warm ups. If we you know if we had talked after the England match, we would be quite despondent here. Um, obviously things did pick up a lot in Cardiff on Saturday, but I have to say the longer the game went the more I worried that this is a team that is bereft of confidence, that they came out with the bluster and, you know, determination to basically go and cast aside a second team from Wales. Now, look, there was an awful lot of Ireland second-choice players out there as well, but that, you know, this was this meant a lot more to us than it did to them, naturally, okay? Um, but then when things started to go wrong and Wales started to get back into the game in the second half, I felt that we had all the mannerisms of a sporting team, you see it in all sports, that just is lost ahead almost slightly you know that they just have no confidence so when things start to go wrong it necessitates a collapse now they didn't collapse in the end they held in there and were probably lucky to hold on but i just wondered as you know it's a weird thing to be talking about a world cup warm-up and that but i honestly feel like getting over the line and getting a win in that game is going to be just massive because may, like they know they can do it they know they came out and played real rugby for 50 minutes 60 minutes whatever it was and looked like themselves again and then when it did all go wrong they still managed to go and win the game and i just like i know these things are such it's psychological psycho babble almost you know i'm just i'm playing amateur psychologist and there's so much nonsense in it except for the fact that we've seen this millions of times and it is small margins and when we read all the books in a few years when these guys retire they'll talk about how much these little things have mattered and how much their confidence you know meant in terms of actually what happens out in the pitch yeah, like, uh, I find it hard to put a huge amount of stock in these warm-up games. Now, I understand, like, Sure, I, like, I, I, there's nobody more dismissive of them than me in general. I'm just talking about, I, I just felt that they were kicked into the ground against England so badly that something needed to give last week. Yeah, like, I, 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 yeah, I think so too. And I, I think some evidence of that was, was pretty obvious in the changes they made in between. Like, say, for example, they threw very little ball to the front against England. Um Ali actually broke that down really well and said it's because they didn't want Underhill and and Curry shooting up on the ball. But you know when when you're losing so much ball, you just need to gain possession. Like just it's not the cleanest ball, but uh, like at times Ireland's ball was actually kind of horrible. It was the one time they didn't put up a jumper; they just threw it to a man on the floor and got, got went the ball wide. But like they at least they're gaining possession. That was a, a change up from what happened last week. Throw it to the front, just secure possession, and we play from there. Um, that kind of stuff I think there's learnings in that in terms of the, the result itself like I find this stuff to be to be exercises more so than I, I don't really know how much stock anybody involved is putting in them I know as you said that in passing do you think if they lost the 20, I, I understand that going into it and I understand that that should be the way it is it should be about right does, is the scrum working in this particular scenario or what's their defensive line in this and that like you know I've been watching preseason NFL over the last few weeks and that's exactly what it is it doesn't the game doesn't matter it's just what did this play work or what did did this particular defensive scheme work or whatever and that's the way it should be in these games absolutely but I do think that losing a 20 point lead or whatever it was in the second half given what had happened in Twickenham the week before would have actually been a big deal I think it would have been a psychological blow maybe yeah but I'd, like if I, I don't think I don't know how much to say for example Ireland have 
Ireland offloaded, uh, I think, 15 times against Wales, which is nearly twice what they did in the last Six Nations. They still haven't box-kicked a ball. They ran no intelligent strike plays off a line-out. But the first, Scottsdale's first try was pretty clever in terms of you saw Conway fixing the race, com- coming on a great line and hitting out. But again, it was like, I, I don't think they would have revealed any of that stuff in those last 10 minutes if they felt like the result was getting away from them I think that they, they, there was still enough stock put in the like, this, this, this I agree with that I don't I don't think it, it would have been panic stations like you know let's throw to, everything at yeah. it I agree with that I just think it's more the holding it out because what, what happened was they started to miss tackles again or as was the case for me the, the miss that the miss tackle stats against England were was widely talked about and rightly so but what worried me even more than the miss tackles was that every tackle was going backwards and England were making 10 yards sometimes off a made tackle and Ireland just had no defensive line speed and if you watch the second half of the Wales game take the first half and second half as completely different games Wales were doing that again they were kind of getting four passes four tackles would mean about 50 yards a lot of the time you yeah. know what I mean until we got until they got into the 22 and then things kind of started stopping again so that stuff is more worrying to me than like as in that's what I feel like they needed to just Locked down on rather than I completely agree with you. They weren't going to sh- they weren't going to show their hand on any real things. Now that actually brings me to another question for you because again, warm up games are warm up games. They don't really matter. However, like it's been almost an extensive preseason. You need to get these guys up to up to test match standard and test match fitness, right? Are you in any way like where's the lo- fine line of not trying anything because you don't want to reveal your hand versus? none of these things have been practiced none of these things we don't know these things work like you know we're talking like they're you know one in a million plays that are you know they you know it's it's still basic rugby in a way you know but i just i like they can probably just go back to the box kick whenever they want for the rest of their careers and know exactly what to do but other things you know i'd be very worried about our style and our depth when we go wide is that something that if we have a new plan for they can just do one day because they've done it against no defenses in training well that's that's a very interesting question um so like so to as an all-encompassing answer, uh, so the, you mentioned the England game there. My my reading of the England game was that, I, to my mind, the that I, I've watched that game back now, and the, to my mind, that game was laced with fatigue-ridden errors. So, like, say for example, something as basic as I did a thing up on lineouts after that game, and there was a Roy Best stood in actually as a lifter, so he's at the back, and Ireland actually predicts England's call. They actually do really, really well. Track the it's Ian Henderson against Satoji tracks the call really, really well stands up against the man so what should happen is that he should fire up into the air disrupt their ball and Ireland should win the ball back instead what happened is Atoje wins a clean ball and Henderson is about a foot below, below him and I was watching that and I was wondering why why did Henderson not get up to compete with that ball what went wrong there and it's that Rory Best is lifting at the back he's the back lifter in that scenario so what should happen is he should be in a full squat formation like hands to his arse basically get him up over your shoulders mm. for a full lift and instead he's standing upright and trying to lift him by his shorts now Rory Best is a way more intelligent rugby player than I am Rory Best knows how to lift in a line out so if he can't get down like that I think that's fatigue I think he's struggling in that scenario to do that because he's after coming off a week long training yeah. camp if you see Boniaki, these arrowheads everywhere in defence. Like I, I can remember um, uh, we did know coach Polly who used to bring us to a local hockey pitch for for up near Connacht, uh, up in the sports grounds, and he just drill us for an hour over and over again to get into defensive line. This was non-contact stuff. This was on a hockey pitch. We're wearing shoes, and he's drilling us for an hour to get into defensive line, just getting into shape over and over again. And it's 
insanely hard. It's the one. Of the, it's like fitness work. It's really, really difficult. So if you see a guy trying to make a, a desperate read like that, it's because he's trying to avoid getting into that kind of work. I think it's down to fatigue. Like he's wrecked mm. and he doesn't want to go into that shape and have to go over and over and over. That, it's really hard. Like it's really hard to shoot up like that. They're constant. That's 10 meter sprints over and over again for yeah. be 40 phases. Like that's what you're doing for excessively. And then you hear other stuff. I, you mentioned Rory O'Connor earlier. Rory O'Connor was on, on News Talk talking about... Um, he saw guys hammering away in the gym up until Wednesday. If they're a game on Saturday, I think that's they're just it's taxing. England's like England have done a really great series, Rising Suns, on on YouTube. I've talked about it a couple of times in the office, and it's basically just charting their warm up for the World Cup. England were in Italy for their training camp interview, so ran against uh, Conor Shea's Italy. Did a load of training there. It's funny if you watch that footage, how clever the edits are. They never ever show a play. They never ever show a call. That's when they're they're practicing their strike plays there. Like that's the run out against Italy in a closed door session and practicing. Yeah. All, so that, that that's what they do that stuff but that prep happened three weeks before Ireland did so they were way ahead in terms of preparations that's fascinating so it's going to ask you next yeah. so I think that that's what you're watching an Ireland team just slightly behind that who are trying to peak for a slightly later date than what England are trying to do that's my own read on what is that that's based off no inside information I'm just looking at what the evidence that I see is that that England form was fatigue ridden yeah. to, to my mind similar stuff to probably slightly carry over to Wales I think the next performance there's actually a bit of stock to be put in that one and subsequent to that you see the build up but the, those evolutions that will happen like it makes I guarantee yeah. you Luke McGrath's selection I guarantee you and they're going to go back to the box and we'll see that all yeah. over the place again I guarantee you they won't be as offload that offload driven game won't happen now maybe you'll see some a bit more evolution like Tiger Byrne running that inside uh, inside line run, they come like pop backs, that kind of stuff. That's a slight evolution. Joe Schmidt has always loved that bounce back play, but I've never really seen forwards involving rooks running back inside like that. So we might see a bit more of that. That's the slight bit of creativity, and then we'll have the stereotypical, the incredible, groundbreaking Joe Schmidt strike plays that we all love to watch, and I love to analyze and draw arrows. And I do all that stuff after. But in the meantime, I think that these exercises are just about trying to get a team up to physical speed and the rest of the stuff will will i think come yeah it's funny you say that because that was actually going to be my next question you've kind of answered it is that there's a like if i was to take any positivity out of the warm-ups at all and this is like it might be searching but it felt to me like england were at full pace a week before they played ireland even against against wales you know and for us to be like you know it was like we barely turned up against Italy. You know, you're taking, again, these are all different players and sometimes it can be unfair to take each performance as a... But if you if you do look at them as a whole, we didn't really play any rugby at any pace against Italy. We did it for 20 minutes against England and that was all they were able for. And we probably did it for about 50 against Wales. And if they're able to even do it for 70 this week, you're almost thinking this could be genius. This could be an Ireland team that's purposely done a late pre-season to be ready to hit the ground running against Scotland. And, you know, there is a kind of a, in Joe Schmidt we trust element to that because it doesn't look great at the moment, you know, but if, like, if, if they know, they know what they need to get up to, to, to full test level. And there could be a case that this is, you know, they have a two week break after this match again. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done in that first week. And then the second week is probably 
is all just tactics, you know, and there's very little physicality goes into it. You know, this team could be just ready to ready to fly, but I just hope that their confidence isn't hit in the meantime. If they're telling each other these stories, you know, and there's yeah. no kind of there's no rumblings in the camp about the squad selections and everything like that, and you know, this can be a hard time as well. You're saying kind of goodbye to friends that you might think want to be there. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and a lot of it is psychological, unfortunately. But if they are physically at their peak come Scotland, you know, we'll be laughing at the some of the analysis that we've all done. I'm not just putting us in a box here that the whole country has done over these warm up games. Yeah, and like the, the the very funny thing I would say is like don't like don't underestimate the level of detail that Ireland as a unit put into preparations for their teams. Like the like the the, the Josh Smith is renowned as being like this minuscule detail oriented manager uh, I spoke to Daniel Tobin last week for a different thing Daniel Tobin is the performance coach at Gloucester Rugby but he was technician coach with Leinster he actually worked with Brian Cullen who's now with um, with the Dublin footballers and he was talking about the level of preparation like the detail that they put into tracking loads and stuff and you've heard other coaches I remember uh, Bernard Jackman speaking about this a long time ago about how much easier it is in Ireland to organize a setup because you've got basically a very small base you've got four provinces you can get them all up to speed in terms of fitness strength and conditioning which is a lot harder to do elsewhere so i i think load management has been meticulously managed in in that scenario and that like there's no surprise to see johnny sexton is going to start this weekend and try and get some minutes up in his belt i think he's a particular guy who load management yeah. has been has been very very important for and henshaw needs and to get some game as well yeah, yeah some minutes under his belt for sure yeah and but i think that stuff is all like that stuff is meticulously planned so when you see the game plans going into games and stuff like that like i think there's that that there's physical duration there's more to it than just the the sheer rugby side they're trying to get more out of the exercise than that in in certain circumstances i don't even think rugby is a priority i think it might just be the the blowout that is that they're trying to prioritize so i wouldn't i wouldn't underestimate the like people might uh, follow irish rugby on instagram or their strength coaches and see players running around like hurls over their heads and this kind of stuff and like they're not just doing that like there's there's more science to this than than we def well shadow that than we realize and i i kind of would tend to trust in that yeah, I think that's a fair enough point, right? We're nearly out of time. I've just two quick things for you. I want to talk about um, Scotland in a few minutes because you've watched them twice. But first, what is it? So you're saying sex and you're saying this is probably the one game that we actually should pay a little bit of attention to, although still not. let's let's not lose the head over what happens. But what is it that you'd look for in Saturday's performance? Like, what are the things that would be, oh, things are okay here, even if we lost 40 nil. that the key three or four things that, would stick out to you from that Ireland need to have the look like that were right. I think one of them has to be just kind of not dying, like lasting that extra 20 minutes again, like I mentioned before. But then there's other stuff as well. Yeah, like a demonstration of more power, like as you mentioned there, like demonstration of more power in your legs is absolutely one. Um, the set piece is, is definitely one. I'm not yeah. like, again, it doesn't have to be the most... The scrum was good against Wales. It was, yeah. yeah. And it, I, you shouldn't have, it doesn't have to be the most amazing line out cause in the world but just a small bit of a bit more creativity to play what you're facing if they're sending up two jumpers towards the back just call it to the front if you do anticipate that try and split if they only have two jumpers that kind of stuff like it, I'm, I'm not talking about running the most creative players in the world but just uh, a line out whoever ends up calling the line out calling it efficiently and yeah, keep uh, possession ad- adapting during the game to, but kind of simple stuff like that just sm- like Small signs that they're moving in the right direction. That's really all you can, the most you can hope for them in a World, uh, World Cup warm-up game, yeah. 
And Scotland then. So you've watched them against France twice. Two very, very differing performances over the two weeks. Um, but like, you know, they've, they've got their own squad announcement coming there. That's been leaked, as you said, uh, earlier on. And, you know, there's a lot of changes there and they've got their own kind of like, you know, crisis slash optimism to be worrying about in their own press. Um, and there's a lot going on there. But what have you made of them over the, the, you know the 160 minutes that you've watched them. Yeah, I thought they were awful. And the first time I watched them against France, and I, 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 <laughs> I said this before, and it's blown up my face. Uh, I think it was before they lost to Fiji last year. France looked good. <laughs> France looked well drilled. Um, they looked like they're getting the most out of their ability. They made some huge selection calls that I didn't necessarily see coming. Um, they've got players like like so they've got their own uh, dual-sided prop as well. Like we talk about Porter, but uh, Bama looks like he's going to do a similar job there in in France. Um, on, on Scotland, like, just one kind of aside to all this, right? Scotland did have a, there was like this near, the hysteria doesn't just exist in Ireland, by the way. Like, there was yeah, exactly. the, huge, huge question marks over, like, the what it meant to represent Scotland after, what, what, again, what was a World Cup one game? I can't stress that enough. And I just find it interesting that, like, there's maybe something about the Irish psyche, but say, like, the, there is hysteria there. Well, I'm sure there was a big uh, reaction to Wales losing against Ireland as well. But at the same time, I heard interviews with John Barkley and with Ross Moriarty separately over the last two weeks and both of them said explicitly that they're going to win the World Cup that they, they're going out there to win the World Cup that's their, their end goal Eddie Jones if you in that Rising Sun series the very first episode the first thing he says to them is we've planned your body composition for the last four years we're preparing to win a World Cup that's what we want to do here and then you hear like I don't know why Ireland are so sheepish about the fact about so constantly concerned and in angst about when things go slightly wrong like regardless Ireland should have enough confidence to beat Scotland like you should beat Scotland and Japan I mean you, it's the, in terms of if you're judging on sheer ability regardless of the form and stuff like that you, you analyse them you take it seriously but ultimately and they're a better team than Scotland and a better team than Japan and by the way a better team than Scotland, uh, South Africa South Africa are in form but Ireland, if, when Ireland were in form they were play, playing better like they would have outmatched that they don't have as creative a coach as Joe Schmidt does like Erasmus did a brilliant job in getting Munster organised and well drilled but ultimately I, I do think that like those countries don't seem to have the same constant angst and maybe that is just down to historically Ireland have had a really de- desperate relationship with, with hype the dreaded hype bird but I also think that you have to put a bit of trust and confidence in an incredibly talented group of players and even though this week has been dominated by talks of crisis and conversion and I saw Matt Williams saying today that um, this is evidence that Joe Schmitz is, has basically lost it nearly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm, I'm really not so sure I think that this is an incredibly talented group of players uh, the best coach in the history of Irish rugby they should be good enough to get to a semi-final and there should be no shame in saying that if, if, if it comes if they underperform you analyse that but right now in terms of forecasting I think it's okay to say Ireland should be in the top four teams in the country based on what they have at their in the world yeah Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> they're just yeah so you have Leinster first Munster second <laughs> yeah probably and then Ulster in Ireland Connacht in Ireland at a tie um, great okay um, that's the positive note we want to leave it on um, and then sure if we get to a semi-final why can't we beat England we've beaten them loads of times not, not in the last year but before that uh, yeah we'll cross that bridge if we get to it no no I've, uh, you just told me we're getting to a World Cup final and we've beaten New Zealand twice <laughs> so if they're there we've beaten everybody yeah yeah we're going to win the well, World Cup well do you know look I talked a bit about this a good while ago, thinking that Ireland had built for the World Cup in much the way that England had in 2003. 
Except we won the Grand Slam a year earlier, but we'd started with, you know, the, the series win in Australia was massive. First time ever doing that. Before that, we'd had, you know, a test win in South Africa that lost, you know, that end, and ended up losing the series. And we'd beaten New Zealand twice in that regard. And we started to beat these teams on a regular basis in a way that, you know, England did in between 2000 and 2003. They were denied their Grand Slam every time and then eventually won it in 03 and went on, you know, and, but, I just think that 2019, it's like, it was like a year later, we just like, everything halted. And it just feels like any of that momentum might be gone. But don't forget, like, Joe Schmidt and the players still remember all of that and still know what they did to get to that, you know, scenario. And possibly there is that confidence that every single team we will play in the World Cup, we will have beaten. You know, or every single serious team that we play in the World Cup, we will have beaten at one point and they know what they have to do to do it again you know so we'll leave it on a positive note and we'll be back next tuesday we'll see what happens against wales um and there'll be lots more to talk about as well and we'll have some very interesting people on with us uh on the show over the course of the next few weeks so join us every tuesday we'll be back um myself and mark we'll be back with the build-up podcast um tomorrow we are on thursday morning with ladbrooks um uh, we'll be joined by Stephen Ferris on that one, so it'll be interesting to see what Stephen makes uh, made of last weekend, and he'll have his uh, picks looking ahead to what happens against Wales. And we've lots more as well on the uh, Balls Podcast Network. We have um, uh, soccer slash football show that uh, Morris was involved in on Monday. That's uh, Mark and Gary um, running that one. Um, we have more GA to come because it's gone to a replay. So the Three Man Weave lives on for another week or two at least. And um, we might even be sneaking in the NFL show over the next couple of weeks. So uh, keep your ears and eyes peeled for that one. But um, if you want to watch, listen to any of them, just type in balls.ie into your podcast app of any kind and you can subscribe download all of the usual stuff leave a comment leave a star rating really helpful if you do and if you just want to listen to rugby stuff you're not interested in any of the rest of the stuff rugby on balls are you'll get you this show it'll get you the the Stephen ferris interview every week on the build-up and it'll get you any other rugby stuff that we do and you can listen to that so is that enough selling is that enough shilling sounds good okay that's enough right we'll talk to you next week <laughs>